Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Do you want to know anything? What he looks like or sounds like? I know what he looks like and sounds like. Wait, what? Have you been there? I don't need to. Such is the strength of my faith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Streaming, a part of the Decoding TV podcast feed. I am David Chen. And I'm Dan Gavazdan. Welcome to the podcast. Each week, This Week in Streaming, we'll cover a show that's new and interesting in the world of streaming. We'll tell you if it's worth watching, and eventually we will review and spoil and discuss the entire season of the show, which is what we are doing today with Mrs. Davis, episodes five through eight. Typically, I'd also list the episode titles, but they are too long for me to do so. Uh, but that's what we're going to be discussing today. Mrs. Davis, season one in its entirety. We're going to be spoiling everything and talking about whether you should watch the show. Next week, we are going to be covering the Apple TV Plus show, Silo. Uh, now, I'm still working out with Dan exactly how we're going to cover that show. Uh, but it's probably going to be either the first two episodes or up to the first four episodes uh, we're still figuring that out. But hey, I, I do want to acknowledge Dank Vosden. You know, welcome back to Decoding TV. Uh, Sedanta Dlaka covered the first half of Mrs. Davis. I'm so happy to have you join me for the second half of Miss Davis. And uh, really appreciate you being here today, Dan. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, it's been a little while since I've been on the network, and uh, so I, I'm excited. Uh, Sedan's, uh, 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 you know, uh, misfortune, I guess, is my fortune. He's not nothing. <laughs> nothing bad happened to him, yes. but I'm I'm happy to be. He here. He is completely yes. fine. We are we are actually rooting for his success at the Cannes Film Festival this week. Uh, but he could not be around. We're so glad to have Dan Gvozdan from the Amazing Spider Talk podcast here. Uh, to join us for this conversation about Mrs. Davis. So what we're going to do today, you know, and, and I also want to mention before we get to Mrs. Davis, of course, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Support this podcast at decodingtv.com and follow this podcast on your social medias, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, at Decoding TV. We are broadcasting live right now at youtube.com slash Decoding TV. We try to broadcast uh, all This Week in Streaming episodes live. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to diving into the show. So we, we might acknowledge comments from people uh, on the YouTube channel as we progress through the episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about whether you should watch the show very briefly. Uh, we'll try to recap what happened in the latter four episodes of the show, uh, which is going to be... Try to is the, is the key word there. I'm just going to put this out there. It's going to be a heavily distilled recap. Uh, a lo- yeah. lot of stuff... On the cutting room floor of this recap. And then we are going to dive into specific topics we have around the show before we end with uh, favorite quotes. So that is what is in store for you today for our coverage of Mrs. Davis. Dan Gavazin, let's start, as we always do, by asking if you can summarize in one sentence whether you think people should watch Mrs. Davis on Peacock. I don't know that I can in a single sentence. Um, I, you know, I, I have an 11 month year old uh, son, and uh, that takes up a lot of my time. But every an 11, other free 11 month moment, old son, 11 month old son. That's what you said, right? 
Yes, yeah. yes. But so I've spent every other moment that I have free watching Miss Davis to get caught up because I was not watching the show before you asked me to to come on to talk about this. And half of what I've seen, like in that kind of binge session, feels like some sleep deprived fever dream. <laughs> And, uh, you know, like, and, and, and by the end, I was hoping to have an answer, uh, but I, I don't think I know whether I would recommend the show. I, I do know this. I wouldn't have finished the show except for this review. And yet, um, the ending is oddly satisfying. I can't lie. I don't know that it justifies the journey. Uh, and, and yet it might not work without the journey. And yet still, I found some kind of catharsis at the end, whether that's earned or makes any sense, or it was just a relief of having watched the whole thing finally. Um, but you know, like by the end, there was something there. I felt mm-hmm. by the end, there was something there. I felt got to put that on the poster. Dag Vosden. Yes. Uh, so difficult to assess the show. Here's what I'm going to say. I think by episode three or four, you will have what the vibe of the show is. Mm-hmm. And if after those episodes you think to yourself, hey, this isn't that good or I don't like it, don't watch the rest. Um, if, on the other hand, you're like, this is brilliant, I love it. I'm loving what the show is doing, then I think like going all the way through episode eight, it will be like a satisfying journey. I will say that I read a bunch of reviews from people that were saying, hey, uh, you got to, you got to, like the, the finale episode ties everything together beautifully. And so I, that's what I was hoping for. And I was hoping that there would be something in the finale that kind of made everything else in the show lock into place for me. You know, that, that it was like, oh, that's why they did it that way. Like, that's why they did the show that way, you know? And I'm sad to say that did not happen at all. Um, you know, Dan, in my like wildest speculation, one one wild, crazy theory I had was that maybe every episode of Mrs. Davis represented uh, a kind of t- television episode format like trope. You know, so so for instance, like, oh, this is the heist episode. Like, this is this yes. is the heist TV episode. This is the uh, flashback episode. This is like the exposition dump episode. This is like the introduce the hero episode. Like I, I, I was trying to like come up with reasons why the show was so weird and, and like trying to explain the weirdness of the show. And I was thinking to myself, oh, you know, maybe the finale is gonna have have some explanation that's gonna gonna make everything lock into place. Uh, it didn't, in my opinion. It didn't have any. It, there were some reveals in the finale that were interesting that we'll discuss. Um, but I think this is a show where if you are on its wavelength, if you are, if you like the vibe of the show, uh, then, you know, you'll know within the first few episodes. And if you don't like the vibe, nothing really changes by the end. And arguably the show gets more frustrating by the finale. So that's a very long sentence to summarize whether you should watch the show. Uh, but that's what I feel. It's a very difficult show to categorize or recommend. Uh, but I think if you like it, you like it. If you don't like it, the finale is not going to change your mind. That's my thoughts. Dan Gvosson, any I know any we only have a, yeah, I know we only have a sentence here. Yes, uh, and, yes. And, and we both had the longest run on sentences on, on earth. Yes. But, um, you know, I think there is something to what you're saying about this whole like TV tropes, 
playing out. And there are there's some things in the final episode that lend some evidence that at somewhere along the line they were probably thinking in that way. Um, and we can get into those details later. But you're right; it does not like uh, have a moment of clarity where you can look back and see why they handled it this way. Yeah, I I honestly think if you like removed all of the middle episodes and like maybe like the first second and third episode were condensed to like two hours you could probably have the same kind of emotional catharsis without all the baggage uh of the show and for some people the baggage is going to be the most fun part you know there's like a crazy you know um hands on a hot body episode and you know like and things like that and if you're open to that and you find that funny in just its own experimentation, I think you're going to dig the show. I didn't think the show was particularly funny. And to me, that was the thing that kind of kept me at uh, guards. It was like, it was taking a half step into being completely silly and not, and, but also really maintaining this kind of seriousness. And I, I just wish this thing went full vibes, you know, show, you know, just like I, I'm thinking like inherent vice where, um, it's got all the exposition, but it doesn't really care about it. And this one, it's got all the exposition, but it really cares about it. And I just, uh, I, I was like, man, I wanted to let it wash over me and it never, I never was able to surrender enough to let it do that. Fair enough, Dan. Fair enough. Well, let's talk about what actually happens in the show. Okay. So I'm now going to read a recap of episodes five through eight. And I just want to make clear we're leaving out a bunch of stuff. Uh, but here we go. So episode five, Simone and Wiley travel to a remote island to meet Dr. Schrodinger, who tells them the story of Clara, her mother, and the sisterhood of the coin. Um, Simone and Wiley learn about the danger of the Holy Grail and how they are uniquely positioned to destroy it, despite it being in the belly of a whale. Simone and Wiley then team up to confront Simone's mother, Celeste, and get the Lazarus Shroud so they can survive the stomach acids of the whale, which is where the Holy Grail is. When confronted, Celeste demands to know the location of Simone's father, who she believes is alive. Simone and Jay team up to pull off the heist to steal the Lazarus Shroud before getting caught in a trap by Celeste. Mrs. Davis then admits to Simone she lied to Celeste about Monty's death and tells Simone where her father is. Simone returns to Celeste, lies about being Monty's accomplice and faking his death so that Celeste will go along with her plan. Simone and Wiley part at the docks. Simone uses the Lazarus Shroud to enter the whale after a disastrous accident. Inside the whale, Simone is returned to Jay's restaurant where she meets his mother, Mary. Mary explains that the Holy Grail has a piece of Jay's skull and it binds him to the restaurant, a type of limbo world between the living and the dead, and only Simone can destroy the Grail. Meanwhile, Wiley is threatened by Mrs. Davis and informed that his headquarters is the host or algorithm, so he blows up the whole headquarters to free his team from their obsession with their quest. Simone follows her clues from malfunctioning Mrs. Davis to find Joy, the creator of the algorithm, who reveals that Mrs. Davis was just a Buffalo Wild Wings app that was rejected and has gone out of control, uh, misunderstanding its core objectives. Simone returns to the convent to find her mother superior and to destroy the grail. She says goodbye to Jay and drinks from the grail, destroying it and freeing Jay. Simone reveals that her father died in a piano uh, and reveals this to her mother, and the two make amends during a proxy session with Mrs. Davis. Meanwhile, Wiley embraces his fate and bravely rides a roller coaster to his doom, only to find the expiration dates were all part of a quest to give people meaning in their lives. Wiley, Simone, and her horse reconnect and ride off into a happy sunset together as Mrs. Davis shuts down for good. So that's what happens. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out to Dank Vosden, who managed to distill four episodes of wildness into that description. You know, what was the most fun part about that is like a, kind of like the, the 
like thinking about any one sentence in that is kind of like enough to melt your brain. Mm-hmm. And and the and the thing that that I can uh, you know I confirm with that is as I was watching the show, my wife would like drift in and out of the room, and she'd come in and it'd be like, "Yes, Jesus's skull is the holy grail, and we're inside of a whale." And there's just no amount of work that I could do to explain to her how that made sense and in, was in some way compelling. There were moments of the show where I was like, oh, this is a cool constructed like sequence with with all of that insane context around it. And it it goes to show like uh, good like good filmmaking, like just solid filmmaking and acting and a confidence can kind of get you through almost any level of strange setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. And uh, I want to say, I think overall, Mrs. Davis, the show looks very good. It looks like they spent yes. a lot of money on it. It looks like, you know, minimum $5 million an episode. You know, like, it looks like... Uh, and, and they worked really hard. Like, I'm guessing they shot on the volume. There's a lot of stuff that's done on like boats and stuff. And I'm like, I don't think they took out boats there. So they probably shot on the volume, but it looks good. It looks really good. Um, But you know, Dank Vosden, let's get into specific topics and uh, let's start by talking about something that I think I actually really like about Mrs. Davis. The big reveal in the final episode of Mrs. Davis is that the algorithm actually started as a Buffalo Wild Wings customer loyalty app. I actually think this is great because we live, right, literally, as Dan Gavaz and I are talking right now, we live in an age of AI hype. We're hearing every day about how AI is going to replace everything, screenwriting, lawyers, work emails, etc. But in comes this show, Mrs. Davis, to say, actually, algorithms are dumb if they're left to their own devices. Uh, they can actually do extremely silly and destructive things. I think this is the kind of AI de-hyping, unhyping, whatever, that we need in the world right now. Um, and the idea that, hey, this algorithm took over the world is very silly to contemplate uh, and is kind of something that we should be reminded of that it is possible. Do you ever play that game Universal Paperclip, Stan Kavassin? Do we ever talk about that? I did I did not. No. I, tell me about this. There is a game called Universal Paperclips, I think. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible game. And you can go right now. You can play it right now. Just Google Universal Paper, Paperclips. You can play it. And the idea is like, oh, you want to make as many paperclips as possible. And so you start making paper clips and then like as time goes on, you, you make more and more paper clips and you, uh, you take over the entire world. You, you basically convert all of the world's matter into machinery for making paper clips. And then you colonize other, you know, planets or whatever to like make paper clips. And it, and it's like a reminder of the fact that if you told a machine to make paper clips forever and optimize it forever, um, it might end up like laying waste to the planet in pursuit of this thing. And it's like, this is what happens when an algorithm is like let loose and, and you don't stop it. And I appreciated that that is one of the ultimate messages of Mrs. Davis. It's the message that I think lands the most clearly in the show. Out of all the messages around the land, the one about AI is the one that I think is most effective. All that said, how do you feel the show handled the idea of AI, Dan Boston? Well, it's funny for most of the show's runtime, I didn't think it was interested in AI at all. Like it comes around at the in the final episode and has something interesting to say about it, um, which is most of what you're talking about. But for so much of this show, like I felt like the Mrs. Davis character was really deep background 
to like a lot of the other stuff that was going on. Like we don't really see how the world is transformed by this in any kind of clear way other than just a few people talking into like uh, headsets and stuff. Um, and, and the final message, like I, I like that message that you illuminated that like AI can be dumb, but it's opinion on whether that's good or bad. I'm not really sure that um, it has a very clear distinction between the two. Like there's a suggestion that um, like the AI is doing something beautiful and it is leading people to, um, you know, like uh, have increased positivity in their life. Um, right. I mean, that's I, that's one of the messages yeah. of the show is regardless of how stupid the things that are guiding people, whether it's religion or AI or whatever, regardless of how silly it is, people can still extract meaning from those things. And though that can be a beautiful thing. Right. Um, right. I think that was a pretty half baked message personally, you know, but like uh, but that was another thing that the, the finale was trying to say. Yeah, and um, but but ultimately the choice is to shut down the AI, you know, uh, by, by the the tit, you know the main character. So, um, you know, uh, is it is it pro beauty? Is it anti beauty? I mean, I think the idea is that like it, uh, it, it is using AI as a way to guide people to beauty, and then like letting them use that as a model moving forward, perhaps. Um, you know, but it it seems in the final moments which are also fairly unclear, like how much the AI is actually manipulating things um, that society might be crumbling in that, like a car hits another car and yet someone keeps bicycling in, in the windmill. So it seems to be a little more even handed in, uh, in its final moments. Um, and, and maybe that's kind of where, like the, the point, you know, it, it's not really making a, stance on whether ai good bad but just kind of unpacking that uh maybe an alternate view on ai and i found all of that very interesting when it did choose to focus on it but it's funny because just seeing like the the ads for the show it really seems like it's going to be like a dystopic you know ai enemy show and i really think it's not all that interested in an ai for a lot of its runtime yeah, mo- most of its runtime, I would I would argue for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, I I did like the message that hey, algorithms are not alive; they're just code. You know, we 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 are we are literally in the middle of a collective journalistic freakout about AI. Like people yes. people from the New York Times, th- theoretically well balanced individuals, are. Uh, talking to the Bing chatbot and freaking out because they're like, oh, um, the Bing chatbot said it wanted to be alive. It's like, guys, it's not actually, it's just a text predictor. It's like you're, you know, when you're making text on your iOS, it's predicting what you want to see next. Like, calm down, please. And and so it's like, we need more reminders in our society that, hey, um, AI is not quite at the level that you think it's at right now. And sometimes it's just dumb code. And you need to like accept that, and I think that the, the I appreciate that the show's message is that in the final episode. Before we move on, I want to mention that this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by the McDonald's app. Uh, you know, speaking of really well-designed apps uh, that can make a difference in people's lives, Dan Gavostin, my newest life hack is the McDonald's app. 
I order in the app. I pick my favorite location. I select curbside or counter, then head to McDonald's. I can grab my food faster. They prep it while I'm on the way. It's the VIP experience you never knew you needed. Uh, Dang, Austin, let me ask you, um, what uh, if you had to get a, an order really quickly uh, and uh, right away? You you, you got to save some time. You know what would you order from McDonald's? You know, um, I I'm a big fan of the McDonald's breakfast. Um, but the the key thing there is the McDonald's coffee because mm. I think like Starbucks and all that stuff like yeah, you know, everybody goes there for coffee, but really McDonald's has got the coffee down to a business because. Starbucks, they make that big batch in the morning. It sits there burning away all day. But McDonald's, they got the little pitchers. So they're constantly refilling them. And so the coffee is fresh and hot. And it's my go-to for coffee in the morning. I'm not going to lie. Excellent. Well, one way you can get what you want in the morning from McDonald's is use the app. Order ahead in the McDonald's app. Pick your location. Select curbside or counter. McDonald's will get it all ready while you're on your way so it's hot and fresh. You can pick, your fr- pick up your food faster at the counter or curbside when you get there. Order ahead in the app to save time. Prep while you're on the way. Excludes drive through At participating McDonald's. Copyright 2023 McDonald's. Thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring Decoding TV. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Austin. Let's talk about some of the world building in Mrs. Davis. One of the things I really had a problem with in this show is how poorly the world building is done. So, for instance, you have this algorithm called Mrs. Davis that has theoretically ended famine and war. But it was never clear to me how effective it was at these things. Like, did it actually end famine and war? Did did, did it just think? Did, did it just make people think it had ended famine and war and it didn't actually? And that's like the dark secret that it was covering up? Because at the very end of the show, Simone says, uh, oh, like, you can't end famine and war. Those will always be with us. And, you know, it can just make you think that. It and it's like, okay, was that really what happened? And then at the end, like, Mrs. Davis shuts down and some cars crash and some people look disappointed and that's it. Like we don't, we don't really know. Like it, it, it's very confusing because an AI controlling people's lives would have profound implications for society, none of which the show covers. Furthermore, I don't think anyone in the show behaves like a real human. Like, um, almost no work is put into the idea of like what would life be like if an algorithm took over the world. They don't usually like a show has um, news reports. You know, um, uh, like as an example, think of The Last of Us. You know, if you've seen that show where it's like they're like uh, the video game The Last of Us is like, oh, um, uh, scientists reporting that blah, blah, blah. And the blah, blah, you know, it's like and, and they'll like summarize like all the profound societal changes that have occurred because of this major development. And there's none of that in Mrs. Davis. So it's just extremely confusing. You have other elements on top of the algorithm, like people getting wings and expiration dates, each one of which would be like a pr- have profound implications for society, none of which are actually explored. So I think the world building is distractingly bad in the show. And I'm curious how well it worked for you, Dan Kvostin. Yeah, it also did not work for me. I mean, uh, even, even just in the basic uh, idea of like how many people are actually using right. how many, Mrs. Davis. Is it most you know, humans? Is it half? Is it a quarter? Like most of the people we meet aren't, you know, like it's like it's every. <laughs> well, I don't think that, I don't think that that's clear. Are. I don't think that's clear. I don't think that's clear that that's the case. 
Yeah, well, like you know, uh, and the weird thing is they have a very clear visual signifier for Mrs. Davis is the AirPods. Yeah, the ear- right? AirPods. In, yeah. In, yeah, and it's like. It's like, but we only ever see people with those if they're going to interact with our main character. You don't really see anybody wearing them casually around or being instructed by them. You know, it's even just little simple things. Like there's a location that's returned to throughout the season, this like donut shop, you know? And I was thinking to myself, that's a really weird like walk up donut shop that they keep returning to for whatever reason. But like if I was an AI controlling the people in there, would I help them maximize their donut potential Would all of donut shops and, and food become, you know, maximized in some way. And, and we're all eating like, like wouldn't AI transform the world if, if, if it's to the implications of what they're discussing, like in, in every fundamental way. And yet like what we're seeing are just like these pockets of places that, seem wholly untouched by by any kind of like significant upgrade for what we know the world to be today and maybe that's part of the point to what you were saying earlier is that like ai is dumb and maybe it's preoccupied with giving people wings but that's not really how the show positions it like even the opening where we see the man on the island schrodinger like he gets picked up by like a like uh you know a giant cruise ship or or military vessel and, you know, he's informed the AI has taken over the world. But then the rest of the show seems to undercut all of the dramatic importance of that moment uh, with, with everything that follows. You know, wh- why would people go along with this? It, it, you know, and when people are interacting with it, I, I always felt like they turned into zombies in some way that was never really sold to me why they were behaving this way. Like people don't really react to the things that they're saying out of their mouth, even if it like like contradicts like their own feelings about Miss Davis. There's a great scene. Well, I say great, but I I found it an interesting scene at the very least where Miss Davis like confesses that uh, she's not interested in telling the truth. She's interested in satisfying the other person. And the person saying it doesn't seem to have any hesitancy about like, um, like revealing that the whole thing is a fraud altogether. Well, there is one moment that one of the characters who's uh, proxying is is surprised by what Mrs. Davis is saying, but um, I, it it just the the execution of the idea of Mrs. Davis as an algorithm that takes over people's lives is so paper thin that it, I couldn't tell what components were actually intentionally good or intentionally bad. I think that's kind of where I come down on it. So it seems like we both had a similar reaction to that. You know, it just seems like that most of the human characters are lacking free will, but not because anything's being imposed on them just because they're not human beings. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, as you were saying earlier, people don't act like humans in the show. Yeah. It's, it's odd, you know, like people's lives are taken over by the AI, right? Like, what are their what's their opinion of that? Do they love that? Do they hate that? Are they resentful of like we have no idea. We have no idea. Um in my opinion, in my opinion. I mean, we meet a resistance to it, but we don't understand what the ethos of the resistance is. Like did like are they all there because what? Why do they hate this so much? Right, right. I I never got a sense of that, you know. Um yeah. Well, speaking of free will, you know, one of the things that's most intriguing about Mrs. Davis the show is the use of religion, you know, what I understand is like 
at, at its best, the show made me consider the implications of religion and the parallels between religion and AI and algorithms, right? We live in a world, Dagavazin, where people create things because of what algorithms will do with the things. Like on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter, whatever. Like people are shaping the content that they create, the way in which they create it, in order that algorithms will take it and show it to the most number of people possible. That's that right. is a, we we live in a reality where machines control humans already today in the life like as we're speaking right now. That's already happening. Are, are you speaking and, of this from a first person perspective, David? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Like, and, yeah. and AI is guiding why I'm saying all this stuff that I'm saying to you right now. Um, Excellent. And uh, and I think you know technology and religion have many parallels, right? In both situations. We have a situation where, like, there is a kind of uns- unknown, uh, unspeaking force that's kind of guiding your life. And it's like, at the end of the day, you know, one of them is just as good as the other, I think the show is kind of saying. But, like, again, I just think that the story is so scattershot and all over the place with so many different plot threads that that message that I just said just now, like, what I said as one of the mantras of the show, didn't fully land for me. What do you think, Dan Gavostin? What do you think yeah, of the, well, the show's I, use of religion, basically? I think it's always interesting. You know, like I've never seen um, religion presented like so matter of factly, like that Jesus is just a dude who lives in some ethereal restaurant. And like by the time uh, like Mary showed up and was uh you know espousing exposition you know like uh, it, it's fairly bold and um you know t- to use the that kind of imagery in that way so i was never bored by it and was always interested like who's behind the next door how much deeper does this go um but you're right i i i couldn't really quite put my finger on how it like felt about it like there there's some of sometimes i feel like it's mounting a defense of religion like as an as like an institution or or like as a contract, but then it's also presented very matter of factly without like a lot of the faith element involved in it. It's just like this is for real. She's tra- going to another realm, uh, you know where where Jesus exists. Um, so uh, it, it, I don't know. I feel like it's like reaching for the emotional connection of of religion, and sometimes it worked for me. Uh, but other times it felt very dry. And so I, I ultimately was like, I don't quite know how it feels about this or what it's trying to say, but I always, I like, I always enjoyed those scenes for um, at least a, a, a new depiction of religion on screen. Fair enough. And yeah, you're right. It is kind of a, a novel way of depicting Like you can go somewhere in your head where Jesus is like Jesus occupies like an actual kind of, metaphysical plane that's beyond this world and other people can go to the same plane like that's a cool idea and you know the way the show is shot it makes it so that like every time she goes there it's it, the show seems extremely meticulously planned out because you know it'll like match cut to her being there with the same clothes and on and all that stuff and and i thought that was kind of interesting but yeah i mean as as somebody who you know i grew up in a christian church and i was I'm, it's something i very like I spend a lot of time thinking about and um, and absorbing and wanting to like dive deeper into. I found the leftovers, the you know the Damon Lindelof show to be like a much more rich exploration of the idea of faith 
than this show just because of some of the challenges of like trying to understand this show and what it was trying to say. I, I think when it when it makes like the religion like a hard fact, like other people start showing up there with her, and it makes it less of a personal um, mm-hmm. like uh, um, a visual of her own faith. Like when it's just her going there, I'm like, what a cool way to depict someone's individual faith. Yeah, like, yeah. the idea of marrying Jesus literally being that. You know, but it wasn't like concrete. It was like, okay, this is how she sees it when she is speaking to Jesus or, you know, uh, or investing in her own faith. And when other people started showing up there, it was like, oh, this is less of a personal expression. This is just how it is. I found it um, kind of diminished in my mind in its terms of it's mm. like how interesting it is uh, because it became way too concrete for me. Well, on that note, speaking of you know end of life stuff, uh, I am curious what you thought of the Wiley thing and how that resolved. Like we've already talked about the AI stuff and how that resolved, but the Wiley plotline, the idea is that he goes to this thing, and he go when it's, he reports to, to his expiration date, and and he has an expiration date because he wanted to get wings, and wings confer some social benefit that's like not super clear in the show, in my opinion, um, or not really demonstrated well. But he reports to this thing, and he thinks he's going to die, but it turns out, nope. He, despite the fact that the woman tells him like 18 times he's going to die, he doesn't actually die. It's just a roller coaster that makes you think you're going to die and therefore makes you appreciate life more. It's like um, Tyler Durden in Fight Club, you know, holding Raymond K. Hessel up at gunpoint. You know, he's like, T- you know, tomorrow, like tomorrow's breakfast, you know, will be the most delicious meal Raymond K. Hessel has ever eaten in his life. It's like that kind of thing. And not a terrible concept, but the thing that is extremely confusing is, isn't like everyone in the world being processed through this thing? Like, uh, at this point, aren't there thousands, if not millions of people that have gone through expiration and like, no one knows about it. It's like, no one knows about it. I guess, I guess maybe in this world, like the AI controls all the media. And so therefore no one hears about the fact that, uh, other people have had their expiration dates, but they're still around. Uh, you know, I just like, don't think that this is that kind of show. You know, like it's a silly Brazil-like in- environment. There is some like lip service pl- paid to. Um, you're going to work here now and help us process other people, and you wouldn't want to disrupt the process because this is how we help people um, find meaning. Mm-hmm. So. There is a sort of like, don't tell anyone because everyone's on their own journey uh, element to it that I can kind of believe to some extent. Uh, but you're right. Like, if you think about it really all the way through, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, like, you know, uh, but, th- but then even the building itself is a random py- pyramid in the middle of the desert made of like chrome. Like, the whole thing is absolutely silly. A guy drives out in a little car to greet you a mile away from the place, you know? Um, Well, just, just the whole idea, I think of, Oh, like you had to come close. You have to believe you're dying to truly appreciate life. Like it's not like exactly a facile idea, but it's, it's just executed in such a surface level way. You know, like there's nothing. Oh, Hey, if you think you're going to die, you might appreciate life more. Like that's, that is the full extent of the depth of how that idea is explored in the show. In my opinion, at least at least in Wiley's plotline, you know, maybe to maybe like it's explored more with like the David Arquette character a little bit and 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 
um, and the you know her parents being magicians and that kind of stuff. But like, I don't know. It didn't it didn't land for me, unfortunately. Um, well, I mean, the, the, and you bringing up the magician thing. There's just so many elements of this plot that are, appear and are seemingly forgotten for a long time. The show starts magic heavy. The magic goes away until it comes back when it's needed. There's like a a, a, a priest character. Uh, that works for the Vatican that's like on their tails for a while who gets crushed by a whale. And I guess that's the end of his plot line. And he doesn't really ever do anything except repeatedly get knocked out in the plot. There's just a lot of stuff here that doesn't didn't really need to be there. Um, I will say, though, to the Wiley thing, it worked emotionally for me. Um, I like that this I, I agree with you. I don't understand wh- like why he found himself in this situation, like with pursuing wings or even returning when his expiration date was um, being called. Like, if he really believed it, why didn't he just stay away? He, he didn't. Be- like he didn't the, believe it though. He yeah. thought he thought he was just going to learn a lesson and leave. Like that's what he thought it was going to be. Then, then great. Um, I I do think they do a pretty decent job of setting up the whole bit, the Jezebel and. I can't believe I'm saying that. And, uh, you know, and having him like walk through that, like, uh, you know, the, where they take his clothes off and they show him, you know, everything and ask him to you know, take his boots off. Like, I like the series of tests that really are there to prove whether or not he is actually brave, which is the thing he's been struggling with the whole, um, you know, season. And, you know, what better way to prove whether you're brave than to really walk up to death and, and, and ask it to blink, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. in that regard, I thought that was interesting. And I just love the visual design of that, like floating platform with a woman on it, telling you to strap into a roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, there was right. just something That's really cool. neat about that. Um, I, I mentioned Terry Gilliam, but like, that's the thing that I thought of. It's just like, this truly wacky creation of the roller coaster that seems to spiral into the core of the earth. Um, I, I, I enjoyed everything about the presentation of, of that, but you're right. It's not terribly deep, but I thought for that character, it was like a fitting, uh, like metaphorical end to his journey in the show. Yeah. You're, um, you're, you're when right. the show chose to care about him. I should, yeah. I should acknowledge that it does do a good job of kind of wrapping up this idea of him being afraid of death. Um, and, and that, that like on a conceptual level, I do, I do think that works. Right. Um, on a conceptual level, like like him deciding to get into the roller coaster, uh, that's like a satisfying conclusion for that arc. It's it's all the other stuff around it that I'm just like, what is going on here, and why is it that way? Um, and I vo- liked Jake McDormand's per- performance there, like getting into the car, and he's like a tear coming out of his eye, but he's still kind of like stony faced and like ready to face the future. Like I thought that performance was pretty moving in those moments. You can see like he's both shaken but kind of un you know trying to put forward this unshakable spirit, but he you know it, it I found it compelling like uh to see him going through that like kind of physical performance uh of that journey. So, yeah. Um uh, you know, Shanti Collins over at Vulture I think really did a good job of summarizing some of my challenges with the show. Uh he wrote about how as it does time and time again, Mrs. Davis bogs uh, it all down with so many kooky, crazy details. Like, the mom is a genius inventor of stage magic who nearly kills her daughter by booby-trapping her workroom with a crossbow intended to kill her showboating husband. The rebellious daughter is a nun in a sexual relationship with Jesus who embarks on a quest to find and destroy the Holy Grail in order to turn off the world's most powerful algorithm. 
that it's hard to lick through the metaphorical Tootsie Roll pop to get at the chewy, chocolatey, wow, this really applies to me and my life, goodness within, end quote. And I yeah, do think not, that's- not to mention that that whole plot line seems to evaporate. Like, there's a suggestion that, like, because they have these livers that already, you know, embrace the, the Holy Grail, they're the ones that are suited to drinking from it. No, that- and that ultimately ends up meaning nothing. No, what are you talking about? That pays off because she drinks it at the end and destroys the grail. So that, that does pay off. But the but the destroying of the Grail is not due to her liver; it's due to her faith in in and, and selflessness. So, like mm. you know, uh, I the, thought it was the, I kind of interpreted it as both. <laughs> maybe like, like like she she had she had to have pure heart and also the liver uh, as well. You know. So, but, but then why set it up for Wiley to be able to do it too? You know, you're right. Like, that's it, it, yeah, that, it's, that, it's deeply that strange. makes no sense. And it's just like why why even do all that like. Did you even need to do all? It's so complicated. It's so could they yeah, could they exactly. not have arrived at that solution in some other way? It's it's really you know quite confusing, I think. But you know, I, I am I've been very very hard on the show um, during this podcast. But I think you know I, I want to acknowledge that there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else even trying to do what it's trying to do. It's extremely ambitious. I don't think it succeeds uh, in, in hitting all the points it's trying to hit. But I'm really glad it exists at the end of the day, you know? Um, Dank Vazen, any other thoughts on, on Mrs. Davis as we, as we kind of wrap up here? Any, anything else you want to say about the finale or the show as a whole? I mean, just to kind of like uh, repeat what you're saying, like it, this is a truly unique show. I mean, this is like the definition of a blank check show, you know? Like I, I, I imagine everybody felt like these creators like – kind of are untouchable and just let them go, you know, and that's how you get something like this. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, w- would I have watched it if not for this episode? Probably not, but I am appreciative in the end that like I could at least chew on a lot of these ideas. And, and I do think every episode has like two or three scenes or concepts that are really kind of fun to watch. Um, like I, I found myself intermittently caught up in it and, for for that I enjoyed it and like you know talking of show about an algorithm you know this show is kind of a I mean it is absolutely a mess but um it's the kind of mess a human makes and and and, and I like that about it All right fair enough um well I think we can wrap it up there anything else you want to mention Dan in terms of uh the various plots or uh other moments. I, I mean, there were many moments in the show that were really great. I have to say, um, I, I had more favorite moments in the first half that I liked, but um, episode five was kind of cool, uh, where like Dr. Schrodinger sums up the whole thing. And there is a moment when Dr. Schrodinger, um, like <laughs> Celeste and, oh, sorry, Simone and Wiley are listening to the story. And I think that. Damon Lindelof is commenting, or whoever wrote the show, it's not just Damon Lindelof, because Tara, Tara Hernandez also uh, was a co-creator. But uh, Simone and Wiley were like, oh yeah, I knew that would happen. And then later on, the thing that they knew would happen actually isn't true. And he's like, oh yeah, I knew that would happen. And it's like, it's almost like a parody of what viewers and podcasters and folks such as like, what kind of fans are like. They're like, oh, you know, they're they're talking at you like they know what the plot is and they're being jerks and they don't really know that much stuff and uh, are generally very annoying. Um, and I thought that was like some fun commentary on what it's like to be a TV uh, creator, 
these days, you know? So that was, that was some fun stuff. Uh, and there's other, like, various, like, great moments throughout the show. Um, just seeing, you know, Mary show up, uh, it was, was amazing. Played by Shora, uh, Agdashlu, like, amazing presence and voice, you know, love, love her in anything. And, yeah. and there's, like, a, a lot of great casting in the show and, and just some wonderful moments. But at the end of the day, it didn't really hang together in a way that I'm like, Oh, I need to go revisit this, or I need to recommend this to other people, or, or so on. Um, it just was so scattered that uh, it didn't really make much of an impact on me. Any thoughts on the very ending? Like, did you find the ending good? There's this moment when yeah. Simone and her mother they conf- you know she confronts her mother and everything's okay, and you know. Um, yeah, that I was actually going to bring that up. That's probably my favorite moment in in the final episode. And it's probably the linchpin of the show, like this kind of confessional where her mother is, uh, you know, speaking for Mrs. Davis, and yet the emotions felt by both the AI towards Simone and Celeste towards Simone are very similar. And uh, the the admission is that, like, you know, the programming for the Buffalo Wild Wings app was not about care. It was about customer satisfaction. And so it's like, you know, kind of uh, suggesting that 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 was kind of um, true for the mother perhaps too is, uh, and and I think this is a, a, a maybe uh, I'm a new parent, so I can't really speak to like parenting as a whole. I'm still in the beginning of my journey, but I do think, you know, I, I, I'm also a high school teacher. So I work with a lot of kids and there, I do see these kind of toxic relationships where Parents care more about their child's um, satisfaction and and happiness than about like the thing that might be best for them. Um, There's this great quote um, where uh, Simone's mother says, uh, comfort is no reason to ignore reality, Elizabeth. Um, And there's another moment where Mrs. Davis admits like it's never been about the truth. It's about like making people happy with what they hear. And I think the show is really wrestling with this idea of like what's best for someone is not always what they want to hear. And um, I, I thought that that kind of, uh, you know, that's kind of like a critique of religion too. Some people like, I- I'm not religious, but I don't want to, uh, you know, castigate an entire, you know, majority of the population. But um, like some people say like, you know, like what religion is the great, um, uh, I can, I'm not, not numbing, but uh, opiate of the masses. For? Yeah, the opiate of the masses. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, the, the idea, the promise of safety in the face of like certain, you know, like uh, 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 death and nothingness, you know. And uh, and I, I want uh, there's kind of a comparison between AI and religion in that regard is that the AI will tell you what makes you feel the most safe. It's not about actually caring for what might actually be best for you. Um, I, th- there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, that I found really interesting, and that per- the performance between the two actresses I thought was really compelling in that moment. So, um, uh, for me, that was a highlight of the whole season. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. It sounds like, yeah, and I, I, I'll say, like, I watched the whole thing and I didn't hate it. You know, like, I, it wasn't like I was like, um, urgh, I, I can't believe I need to watch this because of this week in streaming. Like, I had a good time. I just was thinking to myself, man, like, this is not quite great it has all the pieces to be great but it's just not quite there and that's a little bit of a bummer but hey if if this is hitting your wavelength this is on your on your wavelength or is part of your vibe then uh, all the power to you i hope you have a great time with it it's a real mixed bag from me uh in in my opinion so 
Well, uh, stay tuned for favorite quotes from the last batch of episodes. But before we get to that, I want to mention you can find more episodes at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube, and Instagram at decodingtv. Um, and if you want to support the podcast, become a paid member at decodingtv.com. Right now at decodingtv.com, you can sign up for free for our mailing list and also vote on what we're going to cover next. So head, head over to decodingtv.com, become a free member as well. Get uh, important updates about what we're covering over at Decoding TV. Dan Gavazin, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm still there until I get uh, onto the next, uh, what is it, Blue Sky, mm-hmm. um, at, at Sup Spider Talk. But really, you should check out my podcast, The Amazing Spider Talk, where uh, I cover the whole history of Spider-Man, uh, both in terms of comics, movies, etc. If you don't know anything about Spider-Man and you're curious about the character's transmedia history, Amazing Spider Talk is the place for you. Um, it's a great place for uh, like newcomers and old fans alike. All right, Dan Gavazdin. We like to end every episode by talking about our favorite quotes. Uh, I want to mention the conversation that Simone had with Joy when she was talking about the Buffalo Wild Wings app. That whole reveal was wonderful, by the way. Joy is in this boardroom. She's presenting the Buffalo Wild Wings uh, app, talking about how it's going to heal the world, which is a great way of uh, commenting on tech's self-importance, right? And in the background, you saw, like, behind the guy, there was the word wings, but all I could see was the V-I-N-G, right? So I thought it would be, like, something like Savings Bank or something. Like, it would be, like, a bank app or something. But Buffalo Wild Wings was beyond my expectations. That was, like, amazing. That was a great... And that it was an actual, like, real-life brand. They actually... They had to have gotten Buffalo Wild Wings permission, I'm guessing, to do that. That's um, the funniest part is, yeah. like, like how much of the show is, like, contingent on Buffalo Wild Wings saying, yes, you can do this. Yeah. And uh, Joy is talking about uh, how she's just going to, quote, I'll just Trojan horse this shit in between the 26 sauces and seasonings, end quote. Talking about the <laughs> app that she's making, which is uh, an amazing quote and probably how a lot of apps were made these days. Um, Dan Gavazin, favorite quote from Mrs. Davis? My favorite quote is kind of one that like gave me some catharsis on the show itself, which is that like for so much of the show, there's this implication that Mrs. Davis is sending people on their own like heroes journeys, no matter how absurd they are. And um, when Simone finally finds out in that same conversation you're referring to the nature of uh, the algorithm, she says, this is so dumb. And Joy responds, algorithms are super dumb. And what I liked about that, it was a kind of a confirmation like, oh, no wonder I think this show is so dumb. It's kind of operating like a dumb algorithm might choose plots to different stories, mm. which you hinted at earlier. I don't think it sticks the landing. Right. Like, to, right, right. To, like is, is the totally show some kind of that? Is the show some kind of meta commentary on the art of storytelling? Like if it is, I don't know that it stuck the landing as you just indicated. Right. Like, Yeah. But but at the very least, I was like, that was the evidence that maybe they were thinking about that. And in the moment, I felt some catharsis that, like, there was a reason I was suffering through all of these completely random side quests that never really come back in any meaningful way. And I was like, okay, all right, algorithms are dumb. Well, it is part of the text, to be fair, right? Like, they do acknowledge, yes. like, the Holy Grail is is the classic MacGuffin. It's the most, you know... But but then at the end you find out no that's actually not why Mrs. Davis cares about the Holy Grail it's because it was part of some right. Buffalo Wild Wings um, principles 
That's why. That's and why now I, mean. I want to look that up and see if it actually is a part of the Buffalo Wild Buffalo Wild Wings principles. But um, anyway, that was the quote I chose because at least in the moment, it made me think, oh, I could write a really smart think piece about this before that think piece crumbled before my eyes because I, I, I don't think that it's that smart. I just want to say, at least as far as I can see on the website, uh, that is not 100% customer satisfaction is our holy grail is not one of the Buffalo Wild Wings principles. Um, on the website of Buffalo Wild Wings, they have a section that says our values. And they have five values, Dan Gvostin. Uh The values are hustle, sportsmanship, spontaneity, and community uh, and fun. Those are the five values. So hustle you gotta is have fun. take ownership in providing a winning guest experience. Anticipate and embrace change with zeal. And so on. I'm not, I'm not going to read them all, but none of them mention the Holy Grail. I'm kind of pleased that they weren't all like puns, you know, like 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 you know, like zest or whatever, just like our wings, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever. Like I I could see that yeah. business going that direction. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. The Holy Grail thing is probably more like in and out related with the like Bible quotes on the mm, you know perhaps. on the packages. Like perhaps. that that would be the place to expect it. Yeah. All right, folks, you've been listening to This Week in Streaming, a part of the Decoding TV podcast and podcast network. Uh, he is Dan Kavazin. I'm David Chen. We'll be back next week with a conversation about Silo, followed by a conversation about Barry season four. We're going to talk about the whole season, the whole series. Uh, got a special guest for that one lined up. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Stick around. Uh, check out the podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com if you haven't. And email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, and sign up for our free newsletter at Decoding TV. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.